I'm Gil Adamet. And I'm Tom Winty. And you're listening to Interacting Weekly, the regular podcast which aims to keep you abreast of the week's science-related news. This week's team includes Nigel Fullerton and Jen Winty. And together we will be giving you the science headlines in as funny and accurate a manner as possible, staying well away from dispiriting mentions of deadly diseases as well as any nonsense about astrological signs. Steering an even keel between the topic of cancer and the topic of Capricorn, while remaining firmly on the equator of good taste. But our first destination is the South Pole, where we'll be covering the boring science story of the week. For nearly two decades, Russian scientists have been attempting to drill through the Antarctic ice to reach Lake Vostok, one of the many frozen underwater lakes beneath the polar cap. The team finally broke through to the water this week, making them the first living creatures to see the surface of Lake Vostok since it froze over nearly 14 million years ago. At peak drilling speed, the team was going through 1 metre 75 of ice a day, which one hopes was put to good use. Sergey, we have finally made it through to the water. Ah, what a glorious day for Mother Russia. You will have some vodka, Ivan. What sort of comedy Russian do you take me for? A glass, Sergey, of our best vodka. Could I have some ice with that? Certainly. How much would you like? Around one meter seventy-five. When covering this story, the Daily Mail in appropriately tabloid fashion allowed itself to speculate as to whether the remains of Adolf Hitler and his wife Eva Braun might somehow have been preserved at a secret German base somewhere near the South Pole. This is, of course, a ridiculous suggestion. The Führer was never heard to express a preference for the Antarctic as his final resting place, although presumably he would have approved of its colour. The hope is that a better understanding of our planet's subglacial lakes will help scientists determine whether or not life can exist in such extreme conditions. And if viruses or bacteria can survive, the constant darkness and below freezing temperatures of Lake Vostok, then there is a good chance that they could also be found on Europa, one of the frozen moons of Jupiter. Or indeed anywhere in Europe, one of the currently frozen continents of Earth. When the Russian team made contact with the lake on Wednesday, initial reports suggested that the water would be twice as pure as double distilled water. Well, that's what happens when you let the Nazis get too close. I'm sure it'll only be a matter of time before samples of that extremely pure Antarctic water, in the hands of some disreputable marketing company, find themselves suitably packaged and horrendously overpriced on the shelf of a Marks and Spencer's near you. This isn't just any Antarctic subglacial lake water. This is M&S Antarctic subglacial lake water. A simple pleasure at £12 a bottle. Also available at Iceland. But it's unlikely that even the most niche of soft drinks will end up costing as much as good old-fashioned alcohol. Some of the UK's most senior doctors, including Sir Richard Thompson, President of the Royal College of Physicians, are urging the government to help wean the public off ardent spirits by imposing a minimum price per unit of alcohol. Similar schemes are already being introduced in Ireland, Northern Ireland and Scotland, which on this issue have been referred to as a coalition of the swilling. Willing. Willing. I mean willing. The minimum price in Scotland is expected to rise to 45 pence a unit, which means that a simple bottle of wine could soon end up setting you back at least £4.50. This probably won't have too dramatic an effect on the pricing of expensive alcohol. This isn't just any peach and roast dandelion flavoured schnapps. This is M&S peach and roast dandelion flavoured schnapps. 
still a bargain at £28.50. But could well cause panic elsewhere. Our Tesco's value red wine now up from £1.20 to £5.40, still in a handy plastic bottle. Tesco, every little helps. Which is not to say that some alcohol isn't legitimately worth more than others. A Chilean wine, known as Meteorito, for instance, is kept in barrels containing genuine meteoric rock that date back 4.5 billion years. Despite its remarkable manufacturing process, bottles are currently selling for only £7 each. Wait till the minimum price per unit kicks in, then it'll rise sky high. It'll be astronomical. Meteoric. Out of this world. topic of meteorites, it was announced this week that the Natural History Museum has acquired a sample of Martian rock, part of a meteorite described as one of the most important objects to have fallen to Earth in the past hundred years. This one kilogram sample of the so-called Tissint rock, which fell to Earth from the Red Planet earlier last year, has been given to the museum by a generous private donor. The fragment is presumably destined for a display case rather than a wine bottle, though a bit of Mars rock might produce a nice glass of red. The BBC News website makes it very clear that the museum's benefactor had intended the meteorite remnant as a gift to science. Which might have caused some confusion when it came to delivery. Excuse me, um, got a delivery here for the, uh, the Natural History Museum. Yes? Yeah, it says here it's a gift to... A gift to... A Mr. Science? Do you got a Mr. Science here? No, I don't believe we do. How about a Mrs. Science, then? No, I'm afraid we definitely don't. Any of the children in? No, look, we, we don't have anyone here of that name, but leave it with me and I'll sign for it. Now, nah, now, nah, sorry, Governor. I was told very clear that this was a gift to science. I'll have to leave it with the neighbours. Tell the sciences I called. We now come to what we like to refer to as the M4 segue of the show, inasmuch as it leads us directly to Wales. Research this week reveals that bright whales in Canada's Bay of Fundy have been experiencing particularly high levels of stress. It seems that the propellers on passing ships emit noise in the same frequency that whales use to communicate, making it difficult for them to hear one another over the noise of the boats. I said making it difficult for them to hear one another over the noise of the boats. That's better. The irritating nature of continuous background whining noises can easily be understood by anyone who's ever attended a particularly crowded cocktail party, ever stood in an elevator with Muzak playing, or has ever been married. If you thought Lake Vostok was the coldest place on Earth, wait till we get home tonight. <clears throat> One can only speculate as to how these whales have adapted to cope with the turbulent modern world they live in. So, tell me, what seems to be the problem? I'm under so much stress, Doctor. I keep hearing this low whining noise. It's driving me crazy. Mm, I see. Do you think this might have anything to do with your relationship with your mother? Could you tell me what species of whale she was? Yes, right. Excuse me? A right whale. That's it. She was a right cow. And do you also sometimes, perhaps, feel a little bit blue? Yes. What do you think it means, Doctor? Firstly, stop blubbering. Sigmund Freud once put it best. You are suffering from an internal imbalance. There is a disturbance between the fundamental forces of your ego, your superego, and your squid. Fortunately for stressed whales the world over, however, animal rights activists are coming to the rescue. 
A judge in San Diego has been forced to rule on a case brought by the organisation PETA People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals against the maritime amusement park SeaWorld. Peter is accusing SeaWorld's California and Florida branches of holding their population of killer whales in slavery. By any definition, said their lawyer in this case, these orcas have been enslaved here. The case seems to revolve on whether the American Constitution's well-known amendment banning slavery among humans also extends to our cetacean cousins. We the people of the United States... Well, what that flipper? Whales should be included as well. Come again, flipper? Ah, yes, sorry. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of plankton. In either case, the whale slavery trial is one courtroom scene I'd quite like to be at. Order, order. The defence may continue with their remarks uninterrupted. Thank you, Your Honour. I will ask the ladies and gentlemen of the jury not to be confused by the issue of my client's name. Do not be fooled by the deceitful and underhanded way in which the prosecution has been referring to them as so-called killer whales. These are not killers. My clients are orcas and deserve the right to a fair trial by a jury of their peers like you or I. What do you say, ladies and gentlemen of the jury? I rest my case. Order! Order! Your Honour, the prosecution would now like to call the defence's so-called expert witness to the stand. The prosecution calls Sir David Attenborough. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Here, in this courtroom, I swear... So, Mr Attenborough, you have been observing these killer whales in their natural habitat for some years for the purpose of your natural history programme. Well, I... well... Please remember, Mr Attenborough, you are under oath. (sighs) All right. They were plastic toys I filmed in my local swimming pool. It is, of course, very important that we clarify that all the proceeding was a reconstruction. Not a real event. Not even a reconstruction of a real event. But a fake event. Not recorded on location. By people who weren't even there when the fake event didn't happen. But as David Attenborough continues to age with a grace normally reserved for only the most refined of wines... Ah yes, the Chateau Meteorito 4.5 billion years BC. A fine vintage. It is beholden on us to appreciate the truly phenomenal lifespan of the oldest living creature on the planet. Year of one's diamond jubilee. No, 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 the Queen isn't the oldest living creature on the planet. Certainly feels that way to me. Well, that's as maybe, Charles. But a patch of giant seagrass has been found in the Mediterranean Sea that would make even a Galapagos tortoise feel like a spring chicken. DNA samples of Posidonia Oceanic have revealed that this single piece of vegetation is over a hundred thousand years old. It has seen empires rise and fall, has survived countless wars, and could quite conceivably have watched every episode of EastEnders. The biologists who studied the specimen fear its health may be damaged by rising water temperatures in the Mediterranean. Well, at least that's one old age pensioner getting value out of their winter heating allowance. This has been a good week for vegetables in the news. Why has there been a leak? No, Tom, it's because scientists have discovered that cabbages talk to each other. Cabbages? Yes, cabbages. Talk to each other? Yes. Now that's ridiculous. What makes you say that? Well, they're cabbages. 
How can a cabbage talk? This is just infantilising science journalism of the first water. It's very hurtful of you to say that, Tom, as we have actually very kindly been joined in the studio by a cabbage who I believe goes under the name of... My Lunch. Hello, Mai. Hello. Now, Mai, is all this true? Can you really talk? No, I'm afraid we can't. Oh. I mean, you may have gotten that impression from seeing me on the BBC's How to Grow a Planet last week, in which some of my colleagues demonstrate that we can communicate when attacked. And how do you do that? Well, if one of us gets caught, we start releasing a gas known as ethyl jasmineite, which is then released by other cabbages in the area to help spread the warning. And what do the others do when they get the warning? What do you mean? Do they get out of harm's way? No, they're cabbages, not runner beans. So, just to be clear, cabbages can't actually talk? No, certainly not. That's a ridiculous idea. A talking cabbage. Ah, whatever next. Of course, the idea that plants can somehow communicate with humans has always had its adherents. Well, uh, you know, I mean, um, one occasionally. The thing is, it's it's frightfully... Well, I, I, I mean... And they say we can't talk. From talking heads of cabbage now to sitting heads of state. This week, Barack Obama hosted the second American Youth Science Fair at his home on 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Extra, extra, read all about it. White coats at the White House, read all about it. The fair celebrates the work done by students across the country in the fields of science, technology, engineering and mathematics, often referred to collectively as STEM. Many politicians around the world seem to be of the opinion that increased investment in the sciences will improve the economic situation. In the Western world, after all, STEM cells. STEM cells? Not in these parts, y'all don't. Now shoot, get. Amid all the students' worthy inventions, such as a disposable sugar sachet that dissolves in coffee, one in particular caught the president's eye. This was a high-powered extreme marshmallow cannon designed by 14-year-old Joe Huddy from Phoenix in Arizona. When a compressor is pumped, a marshmallow fires out of a metre-long barrel and covers quite an impressive distance. The president got a chance to fire the cannon while it was inside the White House, a rare privilege even for a man who is America's commander-in-chief, as dictated by Article 3 of the Constitution. Of course, how silly of me, I meant Article 2. UK's Ministry of Defence has also been in the news this week as it comes under criticism from employees for cutting investment in science and technology. Prospect, the union which employs nearly 7,000 MOD technical staff, has said that further cuts might lead to future military disasters similar to that of the Nimrod spy plane which blew up in mid-air in 2006. Over the past decade, it seems that MOD spending on research and development has dropped by 26% and 80% respectively. 26%. No, sorry, hold on. What does this mean? The 26% is the cut in the research budget and the 80% is in development. So not 26% overall then? No, the research budget is dropping by a little, but the development budget is dropping by a lot. Right, thanks. So what they're going to have is really well thought out blueprints. Really deadly, cutting edge instruction manuals. Presumably, yes. What do you think, General? Well, as a senior figure at the Ministry of Defence, I am very pleased to be able to announce a brand new form of weaponry based on technology our intelligence operatives have brought over from the United States of America. We have invested the vast majority of our remaining research budget into this project and we are convinced that it will totally revolutionise the practice of modern warfare. What is it, General? It's an extreme marshmallow cannon. Let me give you a demonstration. I see. Ah. 
I can sense the uncertainty in your voice. I was equally skeptical when I first came across the plans. What use is this going to be on the battlefields of Iraq or Afghanistan, I said. Quite. For one thing, the marshmallows will melt. Exactly. Wait, Which is why we are investing the remainder of the MOD's research and development budget into exploring avenues for allowing the marshmallows to toast in the desert heat rather than spontaneously liquefy. And how much money does that come to? Uh, around £4.50. We were going to spend it on some Tesco's value wine to celebrate, but their prices seem to have gone up somewhat. Defence isn't the only area where significant cuts may have to be made. No, if Health Secretary Andrew Lansley gets his way, the NHS may soon undergo its biggest shake-up in recent history. If Lansley's controversial health reforms are approved, around 80% of the NHS budget may pass into the hands of groups of GPs, with primary care trusts being abolished in 2013. Unsurprisingly, these plans have received robust criticism from the Royal College of GPs, the Medical Trade Unions and the Royal College of Midwives, as well as the British Medical Association. After all, Lansley's proposed changes could have far-reaching repercussions even outside the medical world. The latest news on the NHS cuts on BBC Two in half an hour. But first on BBC One, everyone's favourite topical Sunday night drama. It's time for Carl the Midwife. Go on, dear. Push. Harder. Oh, sorry I'm late. It was frightfully difficult getting the bicycle to go the way I wanted it. Gosh, I kept falling off. So I rode here on Cleggy instead. Well, you're here now, Cammy. Come give me a hand. I don't like this part of London. Gosh, I can't even ride a horse down these awful narrow streets. And the poverty! That's what happens when you Conservatives get in power. You should go into labour. No fear. I'm not even married yet. (laughs) Quickly, bring that bowl of hot water over here. Do you want me to throw in the towel as well, Doctor? We all wish you would, Cammy. We all wish you would. Come on, dear. One last push. Go on. There you are, a healthy baby boy. You can hold him now if you like. Oh gosh, can I really? Not you, Cammy. The mother. Oh, Doctor, he's so beautiful. What are you going to call him, Mrs Lansley? It's Miss, actually, Doctor. I'm not sure who little Andrew's father is. You don't mean to say he's a bastard? Well, technically, yes, but I don't think anyone else will ever notice. What do you think? Hmm, so long as he stays well clear of politics. And on that note of satire, which we should make absolutely clear, was not intended to represent the real or fictional lives of any characters, whether real or not, existing in any House of Commons in this country or abroad. That's the end of our show. Thanks to all of you for listening, from Jen, Tom, Nigel, and myself. You can find us on the web if you search hard enough, or reach us on Twitter at Interact Weekly, if there are any stories you want to see mentioned in the show. A new episode of Us Interacting Weekly can be downloaded every Sunday. Have a good week! This week's episode of Interacting Weekly featured Nigel Fullerton, Gillard Amit, Tom Winty, and Jen Winty. And yes, they are married. Stop writing in. The show was written by Gillard Amit with contributions from the cast and produced by Jen Winty. 